Do you find it a little warm in here? Uh, Dan, if you can give us a little more AC, a little bit, that would help. Actually, I was planning to take my coat off anyway. (laughs) Not because it is summer, uh, but because of the, the topic in our sermon lesson this morning. It's a nice coat. It uh, looks nice, looks summery. Uh, ministers tend to wear a number of different things. Sometimes the things we wear get to be quite elaborate, quite rich, perhaps celebrating or symbolizing the glory of God, but Sometimes the trappings that ministers wear do a number on their own head and create some image that this person standing here is somebody above you, uh, more important than you, closer to God than you. In truth, the person that stands here as I do this morning, serving you as a minister of word and sacrament, really should be wearing a towel. So I brought one. I am not going to wrap it around my waist because I want you to have the image of Jesus with it around his waist. But those of us who've been called by Christ, and all of us have, particularly those of us who have been called by you, along with God, to serve Uh, you as uh, an ordained officer in the church, either a teaching elder or a ruling elder or a deacon, we are called to be your servants and not to lord it over you, uh, not to be more elaborate than you. And so so I, I choose to do this this morning to emphasize this point. As we think about this in our scriptures, in our sermon. Our text for our sermon this morning is from the great letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Before we read it, let us pray that the Spirit of Christ will help us understand it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, but not enough. We thank you that you are the word, and you have spoken to us, to some of us for centuries before we have ever arrived. You have spoken to them and appeared to them, and you have walked with them in Galilee and Judea and to the cross. Lord, we thank you for being the word and then seeing that your followers, your prophets, your apostles, your disciples, uh, wrote those words down for people around the world to hear your voice, to be guided by you. We ask you to help us understand and apply in our lives what you have spoken and caused to be written 
we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts and help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. We make our sincere prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 4.1 begins, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Note in this first little few verses, first six verses, Paul is literally a prisoner, but he's also figuratively a prisoner. He is willingly a prisoner of his Savior, willingly, passionately. In this moment, though, he's also a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And he writes to all of the people in Ephesus, not just some leaders. For all of them, he begs them. He doesn't command them. He recognized that we have responsibility to respond to God. And he begs that all of the people he is writing to, including us now, lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And look what he names for us to exhibit. Not power. Not strength, not um, a number of things that he could have listed, but he selects particularly humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. That is so valuable uh, for every congregation following Jesus around the world, in every day, in every language. It's an amazing little paragraph there. And then one body and one Lord, one Father. Going to verse 7, Paul continues, But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, quote, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. Paul is referring to a passage in Psalms, Psalm 68 actually, uh, about the gifts. And Paul is very aware of the gifts that the Holy Spirit brought to everyone in the early church, filling them 
when they were filled with the Spirit, they were all given gifts. This gift, that gift. There's a number of places in the New Testament where Paul and others list those gifts. You have one or more. <laughs> and there, you, there are more gifts than even are listed in, in the New Testament. It's not limited. Verse 11 continues. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saint for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. All of us come to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Wow, is that on your radar? Had you put that on your to-do list? Is that, is that part of your calendar? <laughs> your retirement? Your working years? You're being a mama, you're being a dad? Son or daughter? Filled with all the fullness of the stature of Christ. He goes on in verse 14. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together with every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. The sermon title this morning is Growing Up Into Christ, Who Is the Head? It's good, Dan. Feels good. Anybody got too much on the back of their neck? (laughs) The sermon title is Growing Up Into Christ, Who Is the Head? There are two Greek words for head that are used in the New Testament. The first of those is not Archie, but R.K. R.K. means head, as in boss, or chief, commander, ruler. The second uh, word for hey in the Greek New Testament is not kephale, but kephale, kephale. It means head as in leader, the head of a column, the head of a spear. It's a, it's a, a, there's a, a little difference there. In the Septuagint, that's the Greek Old Testament that was written, it was the, uh, it was the Greek Hebrew scriptures. Hebrew scriptures of our Old Testament, they, didn't call it, they don't call it the Old Testament. It was 
uh, the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek in the second century before Jesus. Took a couple decades. Sept means seven. And the story was that 70 scholars were assembled to do that translation. So they called it the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, as they translated the Hebrew word for head, which was rosh, the only word for head. But when they went into Greek, they, th- they used the two different words to mean different things. The, uh, the, uh, go to the next slide. Paul used the word kephale for Christ is the head of the church. Interesting. We might have thought that Paul would have used he is the arche, our commander, our master, uh, our ruler. And certainly God does rule the universe. And Christ was master, is master. They referred to him at that. But you have to see in the, in the gospel accounts that even though Jesus started as master, he wanted them to know he was with them, not above them. He was with them, would be in them. He was linked to them as a leader is linked to the column, not as a commander who stands back and sends them, but doesn't go with them. How many movies have you seen? How many stories of battles or wars that you have read about where the top commanders and staff are kind of back on a hill, maybe with the binoculars or looking out over the plane, seeing how it's going. If it's going good, they'll be right down there to join in with the victory. If it's not going so good, they're the first ones to leave so that they can assemble another army. Jesus is a kephale, a kephale. Paul understood that and used that term for Jesus is the head of the church. He's with us. He's with us in the fray. He leads us in the fray. He models for us in the fray, in in life. Interesting, interesting choice that Paul made in his letters to the early church. Um, Now, the next slide I have for you is that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that we were like many parts of the body. So Paul did not then pick up that we were a column, although certainly God sends us and sends us really into the world uh, to engage opposition to God and to take the good news to people who may resist it, to societies and cultures that may resist it, individuals. We are to go and go together. But in our going, Paul switched the metaphor to a human body and that Christ was the head of a human body. Uh, When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then he goes on to say, Well, the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I'm good enough on my own. And 
the eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. I can manage by myself. And Paul says, no, we are all parts of one body. And the foot needs the hand, the hand needs the foot, the eye needs the ear, the ear needs the eye. Every part of the body needs every other part of the body. And all of the body is linked together by the head. No other part of the body can do what the head does. But every part of the body should do what the head directs. What is the function of the head? Um, I put up a couple of words that I think kind of help us realize that the head does some things that the rest of the body doesn't do. Our head thinks. It observes. It questions. It reasons. Our head can remember. Our head can know and plan and direct and coordinate, protect, reward. And our head unifies our whole body. We all know of disorders in human life that interfere with this normal operating of a body and the connection of the head to all of its members. The importance of the free and rapid flow of communication between the head and all of the parts. I was just in a quick visit with one of our members just here this morning, understanding of an illness in the family in which parts of the body were not receiving signals from the head. And it was very precarious. The healing is slowly taking place, but it was a very difficult experience and situation that illustrates exactly what we're talking about this morning. Um, As I said, no other part of the body can do all the things that the head does. It must be directed, every part must be directed by the head. Now, the next point I put up on the screen is my belief that it is very difficult to be the body of Christ. That's an admission. It is for me. I would guess it is for all of us. It's very difficult for us to let Christ be the head of his whole body and each part of his body, each part, each congregation that in a microcosm represents the whole body of Christ around the world. Very difficult for us to let Christ be the head. The Corinthian church divided early in its existence under, many, under several heads. I read this for you from 1 Corinthians 1, t- verse 10. Paul again, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it's been reported to me 
by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Cephas. Oh, we belong to Apollos. Some said we belong to Christ. And Paul says, has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he goes on in that first chapter to speak to them about their division. He goes on to say to them, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We would not like to be described that way. But in in the whole picture of God, we are pretty weak. We are often foolish. We are coming out of the darkness of the world and have a lot of growing to do. He says God uh, chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing, things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord Paul is calling them to overcome the divisions that have been occurring in the Corinthian church the church over the centuries, has had a difficult time letting Christ be the head of the body. And I would say that it began even while Christ was here in the flesh. One of the great examples of the first followers of Christ was when Jesus told his disciples, who had just acknowledged that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, He just announced that, and then he explained to them he was going to Jerusalem now, turning his face there, and he was going to be taken prisoner. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be tried. He was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, further tried and beaten, and then killed. The apostle Peter, as you know, immediately took Jesus probably put his arm around his shoulder, said, Lord, that's not a good idea. That's not going to happen. Here, this early, one of the first, one of the first disciples, one of the first apostles, actually, just having confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, now decides that the Son of God does not have a good idea, does not have a good plan, and that's not going to happen. Jesus probably shrugged his arm off and turned his back on Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. 
just as a reference that Peter was on the wrong side at that moment. Peter was attempting to become the head of the church at that point. And that was only the beginning for the followers of Jesus. I give you a couple of other examples in history. One of the earliest ones was in 48 AD. 48, 33, 48, 15 years after the cross and the resurrection. The early church had begun to explode and went from a church followers of Christ who were all of the Jewish uh, ethnic, uh, biology, faith, to Gentiles from everywhere. And the Gentiles were coming to Christ and being filled by his spirit. And the Jewish members of the church, many of them, believed that those new Gentiles needed to really then fulfill all of the, of, of the rituals of the Jews, all the symbols of the Jews. And they wanted them to be circumcised. They had a conference in 48 AD. The first council of the whole Christian church, represented by the leaders, the apostles, and other disciples gathered around from the different places in the world into Jerusalem. First place of a church conference. We got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> We're about to split. What are we going to do? And they realized that God had already entered into the Gentiles, blessed them with his spirit, doing great wonders among them. They were themselves carrying the good news of Christ further, and Christ was powerful in them, even though they were not circumcised, and they had to acknowledge that Christ had accepted them as they are. But they also forgot to realize or forgot what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said that should have, should have uh, prevented that right from the beginning? New wine must be put in new wineskins. Oh, I hope you understand that little parable. I'm, I won't go into it, but an old wineskin is already stretched with the fermentation of the first batch. Put a new batch in there, you've lost a batch of wine. It was common knowledge. Every new batch of wine had to have a new wineskin. That wasn't too good for the goat herd, but by golly, they had to have a new, new wineskin. What Jesus was saying is, the new covenant is going to have new forms. And so it did. And no longer is our symbol circumcision, but baptism. No longer do we celebrate Passover, we celebrate uh, the death of Christ with our Lord's Supper frequently. They, didn't under, they did not remember some of the words of Christ, and that is usually the cause of division in the church. People not remembering, listening, understanding what Christ had said clearly. And so the divisions kept popping up. I give you another one I perhaps mentioned before, that of a man named Marcion. In 130 to 145, he came out of Asia, went to Rome, was a, a wealthy ship builder, owner, and gave a great gift to the church in Rome. And then began to 
be a leader in the church and, people, and, and was a, a, a minister in the church, an elder, a teacher, preacher. But he began to look through things and he, he decided that the God that Jesus was talking about was not the same God as the God of the Old Testament. And so he said, we will not read any of the Old Testament. We're only going to have a New Testament. In fact, our New Testament is only going to have the letters of Paul, all about away with the law and just grace. We're, we're just going to have the letters of Paul. And we're only going to have one gospel, not four. That gospel will be the gospel of Luke. And by the way, I'm going to take out every part in Luke that mentions the Old Testament. It's called the Marcion Gospel of Luke. <laughs> the rest of the leadership of the church divided the church on their own self at that point and promptly uh, showed Marcion the gate. For he was committing great heresy, uh, violating all of what Christ taught us. The church over the centuries has struggled in one place and another, in one era and another. And it has horribly represented Jesus in many cases, driving many people away from Christ instead of drawing them to Christ. Leaders of the church did not act like servant leaders, but elevated themselves and actually stood between the people and God. I hesitate to go uh, more details, but I'm happy to talk to you about some of the amazing examples of the ignorance of all the things that Jesus said and did that the church has not followed in one place or another and held on to for centuries literally. I want to close by talking about the church on Peak and Fry. I would like to commend those of you who have been members of this congregation since its earliest years. Some of you are here. And I would like to commend all of you who are here, for you have been gracious. You have been filled with uh, grace for those of us who have been called to lead you. Some of the folks here were here when I was here first for six years. I thank you for forgiving me for my faults, for my failures. Uh, I had some gifts that were helpful and others that were obstacles, but you were most kind. I commend you for having grace for Dean and continuing to be a congregation during his time and having grace for Ryan and for Tyler, for none of us who have served in the ordained position as teaching elders uh, have been without fault and flaws. Uh, I thank you for having grace for your other officers, the elders and deacons who have served you. None of us are perfect, 
And all of us need grace from all the rest of us. That is going to especially be true in the next few months. We are in one of those points in the life of a church in which there's going to be uh, some uh, a change. Uh, how it will be, we do not know. But we have elected a wonderful set of brothers and sisters who we have asked to begin a very careful and planned search for the next uh, pastor to be called to serve this congregation. <laughs> Not Lord, the next pastor to wear a towel in this place. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm very aware uh, how our church, like the church in Corinth or any church, can have all sorts of opinions about that and even begin to make the decision what the PNC should do without ever having put in all of the work week after week, every week for over a year, praying together, understanding this congregation fully, looking carefully through many, many uh, resumes of prospects who might be the, a, a wonderful fit to lead this congregation, be a great servant. We should not be divided during this time. We should be committed to know that Christ is the head of this church and mean that literally and follow that carefully. Follow him carefully. He does not change and we can be united. We can be one. You will not find uh, the pastor nominating committee bringing in Superman or Superwoman. <laughs> they will be a person whom God has called and, and you will be invited to call also. We know not where, what the outcome will be, but we do know what we can be. And that will be people who are united in Christ and therefore united with one another. Enough said. We'll continue on a little bit more. And in fact, I will tell you that the title of the sermon next week is Sheep is Not a Compliment. I'll ask... Uh, Kristen to come and sing us as we uh, as we use this moment to think about what I've shared and to think about how uh, mature we are, how mature we will be in letting Christ be the head of this church. Amen. Amen.